This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of the Broadcast Church Planting Podcast. Today we're bringing you a hangout from September 2015 with myself, Tom O'Toole, teaching on the Broadcast Theology training stream about the life of Jesus. Why do those 30 years between his birth and his death matter? You can find this full hangout, including all the notes, plus a Q&A at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 29. So here we are, the life of Jesus. So the theme for this evening is the importance of the life of Jesus. And I want to start by asking you whether you've ever thought about your eulogy. So it's a slightly strange question, isn't it? But what would you want people to say about you when you're gone? Now, I haven't given it all that much thought myself, but I think what I'd really like is for people to talk about what impact I've had on the lives of other people. So talk about me as a good husband and a good dad and talk about um, the difference that I've made in bringing the kingdom of God on the earth, that kind of thing. It's probably quite similar to what a lot of you would like to have said at your funerals as well. I'll tell you what would be really weird, though. If, if I die, my funeral comes around, and this is the eulogy that's given. Tom was born in 1983 to Lynn and Chris O'Toole, and now he has died. Imagine if that was it. Imagine if that was my whole eulogy. He was born, and then he died. Imagine if there was nothing that people had to say about anything in between just birth, death, and nothing. That would be really weird, wouldn't it? I bet you haven't been to a funeral with a eulogy like that. It's a strange thing to do. So why is it then that quite often we do that kind of thing with Jesus? We make out as though the things that really matters about Jesus are his birth and his death. But actually, the in-between stuff isn't that important. I'll give you some examples of, of where we see this. The first one I'll give you is the Apostles' Creed. So the creed is like a clarification of the belief of the church. It was written down in the third century AD by a group of church leaders. Really what they wanted to do is put some fences around Christian beliefs. And if you're within this, you're Orthodox, you're Christian. If you're outside of this, then it's false teaching and it's heresy. So it doesn't carry the authority like the Bible does, but throughout the centuries it's been regarded by the church as um, a universally accepted standard of what Christian belief is. This is how the creed goes. I believe in God the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, our Lord, who was conceived of the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day, he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Now, don't get too worried. I'm not going to pick holes in the creed. I agree with the teaching of it. But I do find it interesting that when it's talking about Jesus, it goes born 
of the Virgin Mary suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was born, and then he died. And it's like the stuff in the middle just somehow doesn't matter. I'll give you another example of where we see this. This is a quote from a contemporary church leader. Uh, I'm not going to tell you the name of the person, but if I did, you would have heard. Okay, so it's a very well-known person. Uh, But the quote is this. Jesus came to earth, of course, to reveal God to mankind. He came to teach truth. He came to fulfill the law. He came to offer his kingdom. He came to show us how to live. He came to reveal God's love. He came to bring peace. He came to heal the sick. He came to minister to the needy. But all of those reasons are incidental to his ultimate purpose. He could have done them all without being born as a human. He could have simply appeared like the angel of the Lord did in the Old Testament and accomplished everything in the list above without actually becoming a man. But he had one more reason for coming. He came to die. So this person is basically, and the whole point of it is the death. Now, I don't want to diminish the death of Jesus. That's really important. We'll be talking about it next time. But he said, that's the point. And yeah, okay, there was some other stuff. But the other stuff in between, that's just incidental. Describe the life of Jesus as incidental. And the problem with this, the problem with this idea, and uh, there's the birth and the death, but the stuff in between is incidental, is when you think this way, really you're making Jesus a means to an end. So it's like we say, okay, well, what's in it for us? What's in it for me? Well, my salvation's in it for me. So the death of Jesus gets me that. So the rest of it doesn't really matter. But we need to realize that Jesus isn't only a means to an end. Jesus is the whole point of everything. So let me share some Bible verses with you. Um, Colossians 1, verses 16 and 17. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things and in him all things hold together. Here's another one. Ephesians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. God is making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him. Things on heaven, uh, things in heaven and things on earth. So the first one's saying, bringing all things together in Jesus. Second one's saying, uniting all things in him. God's purpose for the whole of creation is bringing everything together in Jesus. He's not just a means to some other end. Jesus is the whole point of everything. Jesus himself prayed in John 17, Father, I desire that they also, who you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you have given me, because you have loved me before the foundation of the world. I mean, when he's praying for us, he wants us to see his glory. The whole point of it is that we may be with him, we may know him, and we may see his glory. And when we do see his glory, well, 2 Corinthians says, we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. So Jesus wants us to come to him. All things have been brought together in him. We'll see his glory. We'll be transformed into that same likeness. And then John says, actually, he's seen the glory already. In John 1, 14, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his 
glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So if everything is being brought together in Jesus, if the whole point is that we will see his glory, and here's John saying, actually, in his life, in Jesus' 30 years on earth, that's often not talked about, that's missed from birth to death, in that time, we have seen his glory. So that time was incidental? Absolutely not. In the life of Jesus, we see his glory. It's the whole point of everything. The life of Jesus isn't a means to an end for us getting saved. Actually, you could say us getting saved is a means to an end that we can know and enjoy him and we can see that glory. Everything comes back to Jesus. He's the God man. He's the word become flesh. He lived 2,000 years ago in the Middle East, but now he lives on. He rules from the heavens and he's going to come back in glory. Jesus is the point of it all. His life really does matter. So let's talk about his life. What was so special about the life of Jesus? Well, it wasn't the usual things that we we think of when we think about greatness and great lives. There was a piece that was written about 100 years ago by someone called Dr. James Allen Francis called One Solitary Life, talking about the life of Jesus. This is how it goes. He was born in an obscure village the child of a peasant woman. He grew up in another obscure village where he worked in a carpenter shop until he was 30 when public opinions turned against him. He never wrote a book. He never held an office. He never went to college. He never visited a big city. He never traveled more than 200 miles from the place where he was born. He did none of the things usually associated with greatness. He had no credentials but himself. He was only 33. His friends ran away. One of them denied him. He was turned over to his enemies and went through the mockery of a trial. He was nailed to a cross between two thieves. While dying, his executioners gambled for his clothing, the only property he had on earth. When he was dead, he was laid in a borrowed grave through the pity of a friend. Nineteen centuries have come and gone, and today Jesus is the central figure of the human race and the leader of mankind's progress all the armies that have ever marched all the navies that have ever sailed all the parliaments that have ever sat and all the kings that have ever reigned put together have not affected the life of mankind on earth as powerfully as that one solitary life okay so here's life it's not got all the normal hallmarks of greatness but yet it's the greatest life to have have ever been lived. In a moment, I'm going to tell you uh, some of the reasons why. I'm just going to interlude at this point. Um, If you missed it at the start, we're doing some Q&A in a little while. If you have any questions, feel free to, to type them in as we go. And then in 10, 15 minutes time, however long it is, we'll come on and answer them. If you can't see uh, where to type them, click on the little array of squares in the top corner and you should be able to do it. So I want to share with you uh, three particular things about the life of Jesus that show us that this life is really the center of everything. First thing is that Jesus shows us God. Jesus reveals God to us in his life. One of those verses that I read earlier said that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. There's another verse that puts it this way. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side has made him known. 
It's Jesus that shows God to us. Jesus is like God's selfie in the world. He reveals to us what the Father is like. There's a few more verses on the topic. John 8, 19. If you knew me, you would know my Father also. John 12, 45. Whoever sees me, uh, sees him who sent me. And John 14, verse 9. Whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. This theme is a common one, particularly common in John's Gospel. That it's Jesus who is the one who reveals God to us. If you want to know what God is like, look to Jesus. This is important because in our age, God has actually become quite a vague word. We'll encounter a lot of people who talk about God. And it's easy to assume that we're all talking about the same thing when we say God. But are we? Well, maybe an illustration will help us to think about this. When I was at school, one of my best friends was a boy named Jonathan Pearson. Okay? Now, it's possible that when I say this, that one of you who's listening might think, I know Jonathan Pearson. There's someone who works at my office called Jonathan Pearson. And then maybe after uh, the call, we could, we could chat about Jonathan Pearson for a bit. We'd compare notes on him. We'd share stories about him. We'd recount the memories that we've got of him. And as we're talking, we might wonder, are we actually talking about the same person here? And maybe we are. Maybe the person who I went to school with now works at your office. Isn't that a funny coincidence? But then maybe we're not talking about the same person. Maybe uh, more than one person is called Jonathan Pearson. And who I'm talking about when I say the name is quite different to who you're referring to. How could we settle it? How could we figure out if in that conversation uh, we're, we're talking on the same wavelength about the same person? One way of doing it would be to use an image. It's like a picture. Okay? If one of us had a picture of Jonathan, we could take it out. And we could say, hey, this is Jonathan. Is that who you mean? And the other one could say, yeah, that's him. Or we could say, no. No, that's not who I mean at all. Well, if the Bible teaches us that Jesus is the image of God, then Jesus is the one who we can show in that way. When people talk to us about God, we want to figure, well, they mean God? Are they talking about what I mean when I say God? We can point to Jesus. We can say, look, this is my God. This is what he's like. Is this who you mean? And they say yes, or they say no. It's Jesus who reveals God to us. So what is it about God that Jesus reveals? Well, Jesus reveals to us that God is more than just the sum of all the omnis. So part of why God can be such a vague term is that we can think of him firstly on a sort of metaphysical level. And we'll talk about how he's omnipresent, so he's everywhere. He's omnipotent, he can do anything. He's omniscient, he knows everything, and so on. And he is all those things. They're, They're true characteristics of God. But Jesus shows us he's so much more than that. Jesus reveals to us God's character and his heart. Let me share a few things that Jesus shows us of God. Jesus shows us the love of God. So there's thousands of examples I could have picked, but think about the way he engages with people, like say the woman at the well. So here's a woman who was an outcast, and she was coming to the well all alone in the heat of the day. She was rejected by the Jews because she was a Samaritan. She was rejected by the Samaritans because she'd had this string of husbands. She was now living with another man outside of wedlock. She was filled with shame. And yet here's Jesus, and he's kind to her. And he talks to her, and he honours her with conversation. He lets her help him by getting water. 
for him. So uh, he's speaking grace to her life. He's not treating her like an object. He's showing love. And that's a revelation of what God is like. Another thing that the life of Jesus shows us about God is his holiness. So one time Jesus stood there before a crowd of people and many of these people who were there, they hated Jesus and they were asking him. Um, So he, he asked them, sorry, can any of you prove me guilty of sin? Yet no one said a word. I mean, imagine that. Could you ask that question? Could you ask it to your friends, let alone your enemies? Can any of you charge me guilty of sin? I know I certainly couldn't, but Jesus asked it, and there was not a single person there who had a charge to bring against him. He was perfect in his purity and in his holiness. That's another revelation of what God is like. Jesus reveals the wrath of God. I mean, it might not be a popular thing to do to speak of the wrath and anger of God, and yet it's a clear part of how the Bible reveals him. Jesus was fierce in the anger with which he addressed those who used religion to hurt and to oppress other people. Jesus would refer to them as a brood of vipers. He talked about them as whitewashed tombs. He showed holy and righteous anger in order to stick up for people who God cares for. That's biblical wrath. It's a revelation of what God is like. Jesus shows us the compassion of God. When Jesus was on his final journey to Jerusalem, he encountered a couple of people beside the road who were blind. They were calling out to Jesus. They were asking him to show his mercy and his compassion on them. And the disciples were trying to hush them up. The disciples were saying, no, Jesus is too busy. I mean, it was important, wasn't it? He was on his way to die for the sins of the world. I mean, sometimes I don't have compassion and time for people if I'm late for a bus. Jesus is there on his way to atone for the sins of the world. That is super important. But it's not so important that he can't stop, engage with the men, and give them sight again. Wow, what incredible compassion. That's a revelation of what God is like. Jesus shows the power of God. He did incredible things. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He told a storm to be calm, and he did. That's power. It's another revelation of what God is like. Jesus shows the wisdom of God. So often uh, when people ask Jesus questions, they were trying to construct some traps for him. They wanted him to get himself into trouble. Okay? So whichever answer he would give, they'd set it up so he couldn't win. But the way he answered was like a work of art. He didn't just blurt out a reply. He was skillful in how he engaged with such questions. I think the church today could actually learn quite a lot from him in this regard. I mean, think, for example, about when people came up to him and asked if they should be paying taxes to Rome. Well, if he said yes, he'd be endorsing the occupation of the promised land. If he said no, he'd be put on trial by the Romans for insurrection. So what did he say? He said, whose face do you see on the coin? Well, render unto Caesar what is Caesar's, and render unto God what is God's. I mean, what an incredible response. How many of us would have thought to answer a question like that in such a way? That's wisdom, and it reveals to us just what God is like. I could keep coming with these examples of how Jesus shows us God's character. If you want to know what God is like, take a look at Jesus. If you want to point people around you, you know, the people you're working with in your ministry to God, it's not enough to just talk about God in general terms. You need to zero in on the person 
of Jesus. This will establish the firm foundations in people's lives. This will be a biblical view of God. And actually, I find it something that people respond pretty well to. Often when we just state propositions about God, we can put ourselves in quite adversarial scenarios with people. And yet if we're telling stories, we say, hey, one time this happened and Jesus did this, that can be well received. That can often get under people's defences if they're um, not wanting to just take on board a statement. Often the narrative and story and the life of Jesus can show people what God is like in a way that they're much more happy to receive it. So Jesus shows us God. Second thing that Jesus shows us in his life is he shows us eternity. So a few years ago, Steve Timmis and Tim Chester put together an evangelistic course that was called The World We All Want. I don't know if any of you have ever been on or run the course. It's a really good course. Okay, I've run it. Um, it's great. I'd recommend it highly. Okay? Similar to Alpha in a way, but it starts at the end of the story. And in the first session, it asks people a question, what would they like the world to be like? And it gets people to imagine what their perfect world would be. And invariably, people come up with the same answers. A world of abundance, a world of plenty, where people get on and live in peace, where there's no pain, where there's no suffering. These are the answers that people always come up with. And of course, it goes on to look at the book of Revelation and to look at the world that God has promised. And it shows that the features that people want in a perfect world are the same as the world that God has promised. No more crying or tears, no more pain, the healing of the nations, this tree of life that bears its fruit every single month. And then in the course, it makes this bold claim. It says, there was a time in history that that world existed. So uh, when it says it's not actually taking us back to the beginning of Genesis, okay, it could do, and that would be true. But actually, it's talking about Mark 5, and it takes you to Mark 5 next, right in the middle of the life of Jesus. And it says this world that we all want, this perfect world, you go into the middle of the life of Jesus, and you get a glimpse of it. You get a glimpse into this perfect eternity, So there was a woman who had a severe bleeding problem, and Jesus healed her. In addition to that, this woman was an outcast. Jesus brought her into community. There was a young girl who was dead. Jesus brought her to life. That's kind of what we mean, isn't it, when we say no more death, or crying, or mourning, or pain. This is a glimpse of what that eternity is like. And Jesus calmed the vicious waters. There were threats to life. He cast out the evil spirits that held and tormented people in their grip. He satisfied the hungry and he overcame sickness and death. So in and around Jesus, there was like this bubble of eternity in the middle of human history. Jesus shows us the eternity that God has promised to us. And this is what Jesus means, I think, when he talks about the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God was a frequent theme in Jesus' teaching. It's life under God's rule, done in God's way. It breaks in now and it grows like a mustard seed. And then it's coming finally and conclusively in the future. The kingdom of God is the world we all want. And Jesus both teaches about it and he shows it to us. In his deeds. So the life of Jesus shows God to us and it shows eternity to us. 
Now, we're in a culture and actually many of our churches that don't give much attention to the future. We don't talk about the return of Jesus very much. We don't talk about the new creation. Uh, eternity isn't that high on the agenda a lot of the time. But actually to be able to, to root these promises of, of the world to come in the life of Jesus, I think actually can be really helpful for people to start to get our heads into it and start to imagine what it will be like. Jesus shows us God. He shows us eternity. And then finally, Jesus shows us humanity as well. You see, in many places in the Bible, Jesus is described as the second Adam. The idea is that just as Adam had this role as the head of the human race, Jesus has that same role as well. So in his role as the head of the race, Adam made a whole bunch of mistakes, but Jesus got everything bang on. Jesus is the perfect embodiment of all that God created the human race to be. Jesus reveals to us true humanity. It's in the life of Jesus that we see the model for what our lives are supposed to be. Jesus describes himself as an example for us. And the apostles, they pick up this metaphor. Uh, they talk about how we should follow in his footsteps. So Jesus reveals our humanity and what perfect humanity is like in a couple of ways. He does it through his actions and he does it through his teaching. So firstly, his actions. Now, there were some things that Jesus did that were unique to him. He was the Messiah. He was God as well as man. So he would do things like pronounce people's sins forgiven. He would accept praise and worship to himself. That would be inappropriate for, for anyone else to do. And yet the vast majority of what Jesus did is an example and a model for us to follow. So think about the way that Jesus fought against temptation. He stood firm on the word of God, regardless of what was thrown at him. So we all face temptation all the time a kind of defeatist attitude oh there's no way to overcome this temptation but that's not true jesus through his actions shows us that temptation can be defeated and shows us how to do it think of the way that jesus embraced the lonely and the rejected around him he was showing us that humanity is made for community and that nobody should be left on the outside think of the way that jesus suffered for doing what was right so this is the calling that many of us will have, I suspect, to suffer for doing good. Jesus suffered without bitterness or resentment. He had absolute trust in God. Think of the way Jesus prayed. So before important decisions, he was accustomed to spending the whole night praying. He'd relate to God in a way that was quite shocking at the time. He called him Father. And then think of the way that Jesus ministered in power. Now, it became easy for us to put aside Jesus' miracles and say, well, he was God. It's all right for him, but that's not for us. It's not quite the picture that the Bible gives. We see at the start of his ministry that actually the spirit came upon Jesus, and he was a spirit-empowered man. And it's actually by the power of the spirit that he did his miracles. And particularly Luke sets up um, kind of a, a parallel of this in Acts. And you see the spirit at the start of Luke come on Jesus and the spirit at the start of Acts come on the church. And the idea is the spirit came on Jesus and he ministered in power. And then the spirit comes on the church and the church goes out and witnesses and ministers in power. Jesus was a model for us in this. So Jesus shows us true humanity through his actions. Secondly, he shows it through his teachings. So as he taught, Jesus painted a picture 
for what human life can and should be. And this is nowhere more prominent than in the Sermon on the Mount. So it would be well worth reading through the Sermon on the Mount again sometime when you get a moment. Uh, Matthew 5 to 7, uh, if you want to know where it is. Okay, It'd be a good thing to do sometime this week, maybe. Uh, and in the sermon, you get some of the teaching that think is actually Christians and non-Christians have seen as the highest and noblest teaching in human history. So things like, do to others what you would have them do to you. Things like, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to them also the other cheek. Things like, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. The life of Jesus is so much more than a precursor to his death. Jesus' death brings us eternal life. It's really important. And then that eternal life is all about him and brings us right back to his life. Well, we hope you found this hangout helpful. If you'd like to get access to all the notes plus a Q&A on the topic, you can visit www.thebroadcastnetwork.org slash episode 29.